0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for the October 2011 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm delighted to be joined for the first time by a new member from the TLO team, Lanlan Smith. Hi Lanlan. Hello Richard. Great to have you with us on the podcast. Just before we hear more from Lanlan, to mention that the main focus this month is on an in-depth interview I did with Dr. Alice Shaw from Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston in the United States. She's one of the authors of a paper which concerns the tyrosine kinase ALK in relation to non-small cell lung cancer. More on that in a moment, but Lanlan, just walk us through some of the other highlights in the October issue.
1: In addition to the trial you just mentioned, we have five research articles and three reviews, including the six year follow up from the MINT group showing the long term effectiveness of treating diffuse large P cell lymphoma with rituximab and chop like chemotherapy in younger patients. We also have a research article from Stempth and colleagues examining the use of intraoperative MRI during glioma surgery and a systematic review by Kubin and Cogliqs on the same topic. This work is particularly important because it is the first randomized parallel group trial to examine the effectiveness of this technique. Their study shows that more patients in the intraoperative MRI group had complete tumor resection, while postoperative rates of new neurological defects did not differ between the groups. Finally, I would urge everyone to read this month's editorial, which discusses the recent UN Non-Communicable Diseases Summit. The outcome of the summit was anticipated for many months as the meeting was long overdue and on an area that has been neglected on the UN health agenda. However, it ended up being a missed opportunity because of a failure to set tangible targets and because vested interest of stakeholders resulted in a watering down of policy.
0: Let's now hear more about the article I mentioned, the trial you mentioned as well, looking at uh, specifically a tyrosine kinase ALK in relation to non-small cell lung cancer. Earlier I spoke to one of the authors of the paper, Dr. Alice Shaw, at Mass General Hospital in Boston in the United States. Dr. Shaw, many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Oncology. Can you give us some context here? Because I understand that therapeutic targeting of ALK has actually been relatively rapid.
2: ALK, or anaplastic lymphoma kinase, actually was first discovered over 15 years ago as a fusion kinase in a rare type of lymphoma, anaplastic large cell lymphoma. But in non-small cell lung cancer, ALK was only first discovered a little over four years ago by Dr. Mano and his team in Japan. In their Nature paper published August 2007, they reported that about 6% of patients with non-small cell lung cancer harbor a fusion of EML4 with ALK. And they presented some data, in vitro data, suggesting that ALK might represent a therapeutic target in patients, so this was four years ago. Since then, a number of case theories have uh, since reported that ALK fusions or rearrangements are present in roughly 4% of our patients with non small cell lung cancer, and these patients tend to be younger, non-smokers or light smokers with adenocarcinoma histology. Now, as you mentioned, targeting ALK in lung cancer has moved incredibly rapidly since its initial discovery, and this was due in part to the rapid development of a diagnostic assay by Dr. Iofredi at Mass General, which really made it possible for us to start screening lung cancer patients within a few months of the Nature publication. And fortuitously, Pfizer had already begun a multicenter phase one trial of a dual-MET ALK tyrosine kinase inhibitor called PF2341066, which we now know as chrysotinib. This study, which was led on the Pfizer end by Keith Wilner, was already well into the dose escalation phase when the diagnostic assay for ALK went live. So as a result, we were able to enroll the first ALK-positive patient on crizotinib at the end of 2007, so this is just four months after the Nature publication at a dose of 300 milligrams twice daily, which we now know is actually just above the MTD, or standard dose, of crizotinib. And this patient had a dramatic improvement in his symptoms very soon after starting on crizotinib, and this then led to large-scale screening efforts and recruitment of additional ALK-positive patients around the world.
0: Briefly, what were the aims of the current study that is reported in the October issue of uh, The Lancet Oncology?
2: So the study had two primary objectives. Uh, the first was to assess the impact of crizotinib on overall survival, and the second was to explore the natural history of advanced ALK-positive non small cell lung cancer. I think most oncologists would agree that overall survival represents the most important indicator of clinical benefit, and it's clearly the most reliable endpoint in evaluating a drug's efficacy in a clinical trial. Now, the phase one trial that I mentioned of crizotinib was not designed to evaluate overall survival. Obviously, it was looking at safety of crizotinib, and we didn't want to wait for results of the ongoing phase three trials of crizotinib, especially since these may be confounded by crossover. So we took a different and somewhat complicated approach to addressing whether a crizotinib may impact overall survival. What we did was evaluate survival benefit in a retrospective analysis of survival outcomes between ALK-positive patients on the Phase one trial versus ALK-positive patients who were screened at the same time, but treated only with standard therapies for advanced lung cancer. These so-called ALK control patients were also compared with non-ALK patients to address the question of natural history and prognosis associated with ALK.
0: Thank you. And what did your study show?
2: So we first examined overall survival of the ALK-positive patients treated with crizotinib on the phase one trial. This was a subset of the, of the phase one patients. Not surprisingly, given that we know the response rate that was observed was over 50%, and we know the median progression-free survival of these patients was 10 months. We also saw that overall survival was pretty prolonged in these patients. One-year overall survival from starting crizotinib was 74%, and two-year overall survival was 54%. But these numbers just by themselves are are difficult to interpret. So at this point, we needed to compare these ALK-positive patients treated with crizotinib with ALK-positive patients who had never received crizotinib. And this is where it got a little bit tricky because we needed to make sure we were comparing groups that were balanced in terms of demographics and prior treatments. So in the paper, figure three is probably the most important of the figures, and it shows the survival comparison between alk positive patients who had received crizotinib as their second- or third-line therapy versus ALK-positive patients who had never received crizotinib but had received some type of second-line chemotherapy. And here in this analysis, we found that the difference in survival was substantial. The hazard ratio was 0.36 in favor of crizotinib, suggesting that crizotinib may improve overall survival in ALK-positive patients.
0: That's a very interesting finding, although, as you said, the follow-up is relatively short, isn't it? And you're, you're, you've got concern there about making sure you're comparing numbers in comparable groups. So how do you think clinicians should respond at this stage? Because, as you said, you're using data from a phase one trial, and it is retrospective, isn't it? It's, it's obviously it, it we're is. not talking a I mean, phase two or three um, prospective clinical trial.
2: Absolutely. Typically, we would try and have survival data from a a randomized phase three trial. Um, However, as I mentioned in this case, we don't have data from the phase three trial. And so this is kind of a a glimpse into what we might see from the phase three trial. As you pointed out, there are limitations with the study. Obviously, it it was retrospective. And of course, a bigger, I think, limitation with the study is that because it wasn't randomized, these two groups were not necessarily balanced, although of course, we tried to balance them, but they may not have been balanced. Obviously, the patients who received Zotinib were enrolled on a phase one trial. These were trial-eligible patients, whereas the patients who never received crizotinib, for various reasons they didn't receive crizotinib, and therefore they weren't trial-eligible, and that kind of creates a concern that maybe there were some fundamental mismatches between these populations, and as you've also pointed out, the sizes of the two groups were quite on a smaller side. But I think this data does, it's all consistent with what we've seen from the phase one and now the phase two studies, where we saw that the response rate to this drug in mostly patients who had received prior chemotherapy was quite high, 50 to 60%. And the median progression for survival um, to crizotinib is, is about 10 months, which is quite impressive given what we see with standard chemotherapies. So I think clinicians should take not just from this paper, but from sort of all the data that has come about in the last few years, a couple of things. I think the two most important things is first that clinicians should think about screening their lung cancer patients for ALK for this molecular abnormality. At our center, we screen every patient with advanced lung cancer at the time of diagnosis or when we first meet them. We know that ALK positivity is clearly enriched in patients who are never light smokers, but we have on occasion identified ALK positive patients who have a more significant smoking history, and these patients do derive benefit from treatment with crizotinib. But practically speaking, outside large academic centers, most oncologists really won't be able to screen every lung cancer patient for elk. so at the minimum, I would recommend screening all, never, or light-smoking patients unless they're already known to be positive for EGFR mutation. And as mutation testing becomes more widespread, it would be reasonable to think about screening all patients regardless of smoking history, but those who are known to be negative for the most common mutations like EGFR and KRAS. The second important thing to take from this paper, and again, this is not just from this paper but from um, the other studies that have been reported that um, described a very impressive response rate in progression-free survival, but I think it's pretty clear that patients with advanced ALK-positive. Of non-small cell lung cancer should be offered treatment with crizotinib or other ALK inhibitors that are just around the corner. In the U.S., crizotinib has just been approved and it is commercially available now. So, newly diagnosed. ALK-positive patients in the U.S. can either be prescribed crizotinib or can be referred to a first-line trial. It's called Profile 1014, which is comparing crizotinib head-to-head with a platinum Tematrexid combination in advanced ALK-positive non-small cell lung cancer. Patients who are initially randomized to the standard chemotherapy will be able to cross over to receive crizotinib at a time of progression. And ALK-positive patients who have already received standard therapy one or more lines in the U.S. can just be prescribed crizotinib now when appropriate. Outside the U.S., crizotinib is not yet approved, and all ALK-positive patients must participate in a clinical trial in order to receive crizotinib. In addition to Profile 1014, there's Profile 1007, which is a second-line registration trial comparing crizotinib to standard chemotherapy. That trial is continuing to accrue. And then there's, of course, a a Phase 2 trial, Profile 1005, which is intended for ALK-positive patients who are beyond first and second line. So even outside the U.S., ALK-positive patients can and should be able to access crizotinib.
0: And finally, Dr. Shaw, briefly, if you were, just returning to the bigger picture, which you started with, with the context behind this study. Lung cancer, we know, is the world's largest cancer killer worldwide and within the United States, and I'm sure in many other countries too. So given that you said we're glimpsing, if you like, into into an exciting future here for possible therapeutic treatment for non-small cell lung cancer, how optimistic are you if you're looking into your crystal ball? that uh, we're not that far away from from really significant steps forward in therapeutic treatment of of this uh, global disease.
2: The whole ALK story is is a very nice example of how we are making significant and rapid progress. Many people like to point out that ALK is a small proportion of patients. It is roughly 4% or so of lung cancer patients, but because there are so many lung cancer patients around the world, 4% still translates into very significant absolute numbers of patients. And now for this group of patients, and we would estimate it's on the order of potentially 40,000 patients per year in the world, these patients now have or will soon have a very, very good treatment option, which is, you know, a small molecule targeted therapy, which we know has very good efficacy and very well may be improving overall survival, as as our paper suggests. So I think this is one example of a of treating a, a subpopulation of lung cancer patients. But we also know that there are other, different genetically defined patients. We already know about the EGFR mutation positive patients who clearly benefit from EGFR inhibitors such as gefitinib and erlotinib, and we're making progress in finding finding other specific subsets of patients who will benefit from uh, very specific selective targeted therapies. So I think we're making progress very quickly.
0: It's a fascinating story as you say and plenty more detail in the article itself which is published in the October 2011 issue of The Lancet Oncology. But in the meantime Dr. Alice Shaw on the line from Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Oncology. Thank you. Well, that concludes this month's podcast. Many thanks to you all for listening and to Dr. Alice Shaw and to you, Landland Smith.
1: Thank you, Richard.
0: Will you come back again? I hope so. Great stuff. See you next month.